O Sacrament, most holy, O Sacrament divine. Spiritual communion, I wish my Lord to receive you with the purity, humility, and devotion with which your most holy mother received you, with the spirit and fervor of the saints. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present here on the altar, we make an act of faith in your in your real presence. And we can begin this solemnity of all the saints with the beautiful word from Psalm 145, perhaps a dream that King David imagined, a dream of beauty. He said, all thy works praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints give thanks unto thee. They show the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. He imagined the glory of God's kingdom as it was to be fully realized in heaven and especially expressed with the thanksgiving of all all the saints. He was thinking, of course, of the people of God, the people of the kingdom that he was the king of, the people of, of Abraham, the, the people of people of Isaac and Jacob, the people of Israel, who had been given this great inheritance. And all that history of those who had received the law of Moses were also part of that divine family. And that is what we want to contemplate today, how we are really part of a large divine family. And uh, today is the day to meditate and and fill ourselves with, with hope of really being part of that family. They are our family, they are our friends, the saints. Because we are really not alone in the universe. Even the mischief of all saints is somehow, in a certain way, transferred to to those who imagine that maybe maybe there is extra extraterrestrial life in the universe out there they imagine there might be some intelligent life out there on some planet some distant planet they have imagined uh, sending messengers there maybe there could be some communication to see if we are indeed alone in the universe or if there are other other forms of intelligent life out there on some other planet. But even if there were, even if there were, 
communication would be very difficult because it would take light years before they could receive our message. And then when they would press send to respond, it would take another many millions of light years for us to... So we wouldn't know, what is this message? Who sent this? We don't remember. It was just between the message and the response, the distance is so great between our planet and theirs that it... We couldn't really have a meaningful conversation. But here, with the saints, the question and the answer is immediate because there is a common center of communication and encounter that is the risen Christ. He is the common center of communication. So we do have friends out there not aliens. And that communication is indeed instantaneous. And they bring us God's grace by interceding for us in Christ because they are adoring Christ in all His fullness right now, together with the angels. We say with the angels and the saints. Angels and saints. Today in in Hawthorne, a lot of the girls were dressed up uh, Uh, different saints. Uh, I didn't really recognize all the saints, but uh, I think there was one who was Teresa of Lisieux, I think think it was. But then there were some that were dressed up as angels. So, well, angels are saints, I guess, but they're not they're not really saints. They're they're just angels. You know. But uh, but you could see whatever whatever kind of saint you become we have to be filled with a lot of longing for that. I read today in the breviary this famous line from St. Bernard of Clairvaux who said that the saints have has no need of honor from us. They have no need. Neither does our devotion add the slightest thing to what is theirs. But I tell you, I tell you, when I think of them I feel myself inflamed by a tremendous yearning. So now you and I, when we think of the saints, when we think of the great saints, we have to fill ourselves with that yearning. And of course, I've seen pictures with all the famous saints like huddled together in a massive crowd where you look at the different Faces, and you can see St. Therese of Lisieux, you can see Edith Stein, you can see Sister Faustina, you can see John Paul II, you can see John Paul I, you can see St. Therese of Avila, Giorgio Frassati, St. Jose Maria, uh, it goes on and on. You know, it's a, I saw one painting that, that had at least 150 different saints all grouped together, and above was uh, Our Blessed Mother. And uh, each, we know that uh, each one of those saints has their, has their saints' day, you know, St. Teresa of Avila is October 15th, uh, John Paul II uh, is October 22nd, John Paul I, May 18th, did you know that? Uh, Sister Faustina, October 5th, and so on. You know, everybody has their date, St. Josemaria, June 26th. It's the, the day they died, on this earth they died, but that became their Dies Natales, the day of their birth into heaven. But November 1st, 
kind of like the day we die, in the sense that that's our feast day. That's that's going to be our feast day, assuming we're not canonized. If you're canonized, your feast day will be on the day that you die. So let's say you die tonight. Well, then, you know, well, it'll be the same. Okay, but uh, if you die, <laughs> bad day to die because. <laughs> Because then your, your feast day will be November 1st and you'll be, you know, burned out by all those hundreds and thousands and millions of saints. So get another day to die, please. So November 1st is our day, assuming we don't get canonized but, uh, or beatified. And uh, that's why it has, to make, it has to fill us with joy. And we won't, you know, those, those, well, those icons I've seen always show people that have already been canonized. But it really should show, and actually I looked around a little bit, but I couldn't find it, just this mass of anonymous people. Of, it should really be truck drivers, uh, watchmakers, uh, computer hackers, uh, you know, mothers, uh, you know, students, uh, babies, aborted babies, uh, that, now that, that would be good. And they would all have their feast day on November 1st. And it would be like a, like a cluster bomb of saints. You know, Luther wanted a reform in the 16th century, but he may have had a good impulse to want to have a reform because of what he saw around him. When he saw, you could say, the lack of sanctity, the corruption perhaps among the clergy, which he expected to be holier, but it was also a, a duty for any ordinary person to be a saint, or to be holy at least. But in the end, he should have applied that to himself. And then he ended up becoming very, very hard-headed, stubborn. And then after, what's amazing though is, is that after the reform really got initiated and we had the Council of Trent, and then the Catechism of Trent, and what we call the Counter-Reformation, there really was a, a, just an upsurge of canonizations in the Church. Great saints came out. You've got the missions. You've got all these great saints. St. Francis Xavier, St. Fra Teresa of Avila, St. You know, uh, Ignatius of Loyola. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, St. Francis of Sales. Just, I mean, I could I suppose I could give you a whole list of all the saints that started what we might call this cluster bomb. And, and now John Paul II, he has canonized, as I understand, he's canonized like a 300 saints. Maybe there's more. I, maybe I'm, that's a mistake. But, um, but what's clear is he's canonized more than all his predecessors. predecessors. And now the, the crowd is getting bigger and bigger. There are the normal people, but then those people that come out of our cultural, political uh, situation now. You'll, perhaps you'll remember a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, there was uh, in, uh, in Baghdad, Baghdad, some jihadists attacked a Catholic cathedral, the Catholic Cathedral of Our Lady of Deliverance. And 48 people were killed that day, including two young priests and also some very young children. 
And uh, now it seems that the cause of their martyrdom is, as far as I understand, is over. And um, usually, usually when there's a group of, of martyrs, it's often some senior cleric, you know, who is the, the head of all those martyrs, who is an example somehow, and, uh, you know, St. Paul Mickey and his companions. You know. Okay. But here, um, in this case, it'll be, as I understand, it'll be a little three-year-old boy, Adam, a little child. It's going to be Adam and the saints in the Cathedral of Our Lady of Deliverance in Baghdad, 2011. So a little three-year-old kid and then priests and stuff and companions. Those were all his companions. <laughs> and his mother survived. His mother survived. But he was killed for his faith. It has to give us a lot of hope and a lot of yearning to be like his companions. The companions of a three-year-old little kid who is now, he's now in heaven, really adoring God and rejoicing. Along with that long list of women and ordinary people and mothers and nurses and students and, and babies and from centuries ago and, and more recent. So we ask, do I really yearn for that? Do I imagine that it is really possible? Am I starting to work on this now? Do I work on my yearning? Because if we don't work on ourselves of having that yearning now, then maybe we won't have it on our deathbed. We won't have a yearning. We'll be more concerned about this ache or that pain for us when future generations will look at our photos on Facebook or wherever we will keep those things, they will notice the change in fashion. They will notice our youth. And uh, they will somehow be able to comment that, okay, that's what they looked like in 2021. But now they are adoring God in heaven. There's a beautiful passage that always struck me in the Acts of the Apostles. It says that, when Peter and the apostles were walking around Jerusalem, they were walking around. What a reputation they had. And it says that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Right? What, a, what a reputation you have to have so that just the just shadow... Not, not even touch, he doesn't even have to touch anybody, just the shadow. In other words, people who passed within Peter's shadow were healed. Not by Peter's shadow itself, but by God's power working through Peter. And these, these miracles of healing attracted people to the early church and confirmed, of course, the truth of the teaching of the apostles that, that the apostles were transmitting and that they had received from Christ, the fact that the power of God was truly with them. It was enough for them just to be, just to let the shadow of Peter fall onto them. People who passed within Peter's shadow were healed. The shadow of his person healed them. Some of them healed with faith, with hope, 
some of them with physical from physical ailments. So what we can ask our Lord now is that with our life, with our attitude, with our tone, with our words, with our actions, with the way we work, that we may, like Peter, cast the right shadow. It's an image of what happens to the saints. They cast shadows. We cast a shadow everywhere we go. Right now we are casting a shadow. Physically. In other words, we leave an impression. We leave a mark. You can see that in the old movies of St. Josemaria when he goes to a get-together in wherever he went, in Latin America or Spain. He left such a deep impression. People were so moved to be able to talk to him. He left a mark. It was like he was casting a shadow in that sense. People were converted. People started praying. People would go to confession. But we can also cast evil shadows when we lose our temper, when we get mad. The bad flu influence around us. There's a kind of law. The less we have on the inside the more we compensate for it on the outside the less the, the more empty we are the more we do outside to, tr- to try to compensate for that lack it's what leads to activism right? just doing lots of things and thinking we're important and compensating for what we lack within but the more we have within the less we need uh, an external display of our behavior we do what we have to do, we're happy, we're serene. But what is clear is that we are always casting shadows. And we are not always conscious of this. Our virtues and our vices, our defects, cast shadows. And people are able to judge us. They can see if we are real or not. And they know who is reflecting the image of Christ. God uses the saints that were united to him because we are, as St. Peter says, we are like living stones. St. John Henry Newman said that we, we are not just like stones of a building held together and piled up on top of each other. The church is not just just physical stones. Like stones in a building are kept together by cement. But he said, no, we are kept together by an unseen principle or a power. We are living stones, internally connected as branches from a tree. And uh, those members that hold us all together and are connected to us are the saints that they're connected to the grace of God. That's what makes the church so attractive. That's what makes the church so beautiful. Of course, we think the churches are beautiful, the, whatever, the art and all that, but really, the real beauty of the church are the saints. Newman said that we are part of this living, dynamic body. He said, such is the Christian church, a living body, and one, not a mere framework artificially arranged to look like one. It is, its being alive is what makes it one. Were it dead, 
it would consist of as many parts as it has members. But the living Spirit of God came down upon it at Pentecost and made it one by giving it life. So we're not just individual stones or individual bricks or individual individual pieces. We're part of a whole dynamic architecture, living stones in a living building, which is the church. We know there's three levels. There's the there's the uh, militant church, there's the purifying church, and then there's the triumphant church. We're the militant church. We're, we're still on our way to our destiny. There's the purifying church, the souls in purgatory, that are almost there, but they're not there yet. But they're going there. They're going to arrive. They're, they're, they have the certainty of arriving there. And of course, the triumphant church, which intercede for us, help us to get there. Because they're there already. God uses these saints united to him to enliven us, his stones, the living stones. There's an anecdote from a book by George Weigel. It's a book about uh, Pope John Paul II, where at one point he recounts the story of a, of a priest from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, who was a parish priest, and he was watching in his rectory the television coverage of the Pope's death and uh, funeral and uh, you'll remember during Pope John Paul II's funeral, there were tons and tons of people in St. Peter's Square. There was that beautiful homily that Pope Benedict, well, then Cardinal Ratzinger, but later Pope Benedict gave there on the square with the, with the casket there and, and the gospel fluttering over the casket. It was a very windy day and, and uh, it was a dramatic day. And all these cardinals with their with their chasubles flowing in the, in the wind. And he was watching this famous funeral, and he realized it was Saturday afternoon and he had to go and hear confessions in the church. So he went to hear confessions, and he said it was an absolutely remarkable experience because he heard, among the people he heard, six people had come to confession who hadn't been, some for 30, others for 40 years had not been to confession. And of course, he welcomed them home, and he was so happy to, that they'd come. And he asked them, you know, why they decided now to come back to confession after so many years. And they said they all said it was the death of Pope John Paul II, which had been covered by the news. You know, George Bush was there. I mean, it was everybody was watching this. It was widespread coverage. And he said, the priest said, it's only been a few hours since he died, and the grace is already pouring in. You know. You know, the, the power of John Paul II was so powerful after he went to heaven. St. Josemaria used to say that when he had the kind of a premonition of his own death. He said, I will be much more useful to you when I leave this place. And we, we of course, didn't like to hear that because that meant he would die. But in many ways, it was very true. Saints do unite us from their action in heaven because they are. Well, that, they are united to Christ, and therefore they can be very effective. And it's good that we have our favorite saint, uh, somebody we can pray to. Naturally, we have Saint Josemaria, who we know perhaps more about. He's uh, very engaged. We have Saint uh, Therese de Lisieux with her writings, uh, Saint Joseph with his deep serenity, all those canonized saints. But also, 
Maybe you have a grandmother or a great-grandfather, an uncle or somebody you've known that has died. Because today's feast is meant to honor not just those canonized saints, of course, but the memory of the countless unknown and uncanonized saints who have no feast days except today. And it makes us happy that they were utterly normal. They had no miracles. They didn't found any institutions. But they are a deep reminder that sanctity is absolutely possible. And, and you know, if we haven't become saints, it's like our life is a failure. That sanctity is universal. And holiness is for us. Holiness is related to the word wholeness. And we grow, grow in holiness when we live a wholesome, whole life of integrity, of truth, of justice, of charity, of mercy, of compassion, of sharing our blessings with, uh, with others. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, our Lord said. And when St. Augustine heard that, from St. Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, if he and she can become saints, why can't I? Why can't I? And we can all become saints just by choosing well and by doing good and avoiding evil, by choosing simply to follow Christ really all the way to heaven. And uh, we may think, well, you know, he's saying nice things, uh, but, you know, sanctity uh, is too much for me. Uh, and that's understandable when we think about the heroic lives of the canonized saints. But I think most of the people that are in heaven, that are saints, they would have lost their temper. They would have had their defects. They would have a lot of their, their attachments but they would have also converted and turned back again. Perhaps you heard about that, that famous poem. I can't remember who wrote it. It's sometime in the 80s. It's a very 80s sounding poem, but uh, it's about a guy. He says, I was shocked and confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor by the lights of or its decor. It's, it's meant to rhyme, but in any case, he goes on to say how he, as he enters into heaven, is not so much beautiful, but he's surprised to see all these people who he never imagined would be there in heaven. Like some bully in grade 7 who bothered him, or a neighbor that got on his nerves, or that uncle who was an alcoholic. Or, and, uh, and so he asks Jesus how all these sinners got in, that there must be some mistake that all these sinners got in. And uh, he, also, well, he also says, and why? Why is it so quiet here? This is, like, this is so quiet. I mean, I would have thought, you know, hallelujah at least, you know. And, uh, and Jesus says, hush child, he says. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you here. They're all there. <laughs> you know, what? This guy? So, we can imagine the scene as it really was for St. John in the vision that God gave him, recounted in today's first reading, the book of Revelation. He says, After this I looked, and there before me 
was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. What were they doing, this, this large spectacle? They were wearing white robes, the garments of the faithful who endured the purifying trials of tribulation. Of course, that's why we are vested in a white robe when we are baptized. But that white robe, see, they, that's what he saw. He saw them all dressed in a white robe. Well, we have to keep our white robe of baptism clean. You know, when the priest, he wears an alb, that's the symbol of baptism, right? And you can wear an alb too if you want. If you ever need to wear an alb, you can wear it. But it has to be clean. So that we get to the banquet hall with our alb on, with our robe on. Not like that passage of, uh, I think it's in St. Matthew, where the man goes into the banquet hall and he's, he's not wearing his robe. You know? And uh, he gets in, but he's not wearing it. He, he represents the baptized person with faith, but he did not keep it. He did not grow in it. And uh, we have to really clothe ourselves in Christ, as St. Paul says. Matthew says, uh, the king entered the banquet and saw this guy hanging around without a garment, without the wedding garment. So he was taking advantage, hoping to get some good food, you know. And he asked, why, why are you not wearing a wedding garment? These people prepared yourself, themselves. You're not wearing a wedding garment. What's going on? That's one of the most um, painful words. The man was reduced to silence. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, well, I lost it, I uh, forgot it. Uh, he just didn't say anything. He didn't know what to do, to do, to say. He lacked even the ability to defend himself. And he was thrown out. Where they were weeping and gnashing of teeth, as we say, as, as Matthew says. He was weeping, and others were, because, because of the tragedy of the situation. Well, today uh, we want to be able to uh, fill ourselves with that hope that the words that we hear when we enter into heaven is not the silence that that guy heard, or even alleluia. Well, maybe we'll hear alleluia, but uh, that'll be just in the background. But we hope to hear is the words of our Lord, as we read in St. Matthew, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master. This is what I, I pray for now, Lord. Grant me really that hope to be with you and your saints, to give you glory forever in heaven. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.